Welcome to The Healthy Beast. Today's guest is a clinical psychologist and mindfulness expert. What is mindfulness? I've heard the word loads of times, suspected it might be a load of bollocks. But after talking to this lady, I've completely changed my mind. Her name is Dr. Cinzia Pezzolese. It's an Italian name, it's difficult to pronounce. That's not her fault. Listen and learn, thank you. Cinzia, welcome. Now your, your bio is on your website, Cinzia Pezzolese. Yeah, Pezzolese. Um, is clinical psychologist and mindfulness expert. Yeah. Now, mindfulness, it's one of these things that everyone thinks they know a little bit about. I mean, the word is thrown about all the time. They, they even mention it on the underground. So they say, you know, be mindful of other people. So everyone knows about this word. But I think everyone like me probably doesn't actually know that much about it. And, I, and it's possibly one of the ones where if people are going to laugh about new age things, mindfulness is one of these ones where they're, you know, they're not really sure about it. So how do you cope with this negative side? Interesting question. Um, I think the way in which I cope is that uh, there is a lot of scientific evidence that supports the effectiveness of mindfulness. So even to the most skeptical person, I think research just speaks by itself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say about the learning, because clinical psychologist, that sounds like someone to me that's done a lot of exams. You know, it kind of like sounds like a serious job. Whereas mindfulness, you don't know. So there's a lot of studying involved, right? Of course, of course. In, uh, so the first study was in 1972. So it's been a long time since they started to study mindfulness. But it became popular about 10 years ago. And in the last five to eight years we have uh, begun to study the brain and how the brain changes as you practice mindfulness so so there is scientific evidence that is uh, hard to object to so it's hard to argue with right so you how did you get into it were you what did you study first um so when i moved to the uk about 14 years ago and I changed a career. I was a professional volleyball player. Wow. And, um, and back home in Italy was a, a big deal, but uh, I also did study clinical psychology. So I moved here and I started doing research on mindfulness and eating disorders. Um, so I was looking at how mindfulness would help people to reduce the intake of food um, or to stop binging. And it seemed to be a very effective tool so um, I was like oh, I'm curious to try so I started from studying the effects of mindfulness on people and then I, I became curious it felt something important to uh, to get into so I started my own practice so I mean when people talk about mindfulness as in just this common usage of just thinking about other people so this example I gave you be mindful of other people that just means thinking right that just that so the common usage is be mindful of people think about other people but your clinical use of it is something different right so this is something you have to practice on your own or so mindfulness for me is awareness so knowing what awareness awareness yeah yes knowing what you are doing when you are doing it which is what most of us don't do because we tend to live in automatic pilot. So we are thinking about what is going to happen in the future. So we are planning and we are in the future, or we are in the past thinking about what we should have done, why things went in a certain way. And mindfulness actually is 
about being in the here and now and knowing what your body and mind are up to. Um, so that means also be aware of what is happening around you. That's why people say be mindful. So be aware of what is happening inside you and around you. So if I come to you and I'm a very stressed person, which maybe right at this moment I feel a little bit like that, for various reasons, what's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you... So what, what is the first thing I do? I would just uh, want to know, have a sense of what you do during your day and what makes you stressed. Because the thing is, mindfulness can be helpful um, when it comes to, to help you deal with stress. So it doesn't push the stress away. It just gives you a tool to, to become less bothered by, for example, the mental chatter. So there is a difference between pressure and stress. So pressure could be whatever it is that you have to do, your to-do list or uh, the chores at home. But stress is how you respond to that pressure. So um, what would I say? Like, let's look at your pressures and let's look at how you respond. That how you respond is about mindfulness because it's about awareness. Okay, so, so the pressure is the thing that's happening to you. Stress is how you deal with it. Yes. So that thing people say, which I find myself doing, if I try not to, because I think you, it is a bit of a decision whether you're stressed or not. But when someone says, "I've been, you know, I'm under a lot of stress or I'm very stressed," it's always this idea that it's coming from outside. So you know, my work is making me stressed. Whatever it is is making me stressed. But you're saying so even that you look at it linguistically differently. Yes. So it's a pressure, but stress is something is I create. Absolutely, it's your, our internal response. So usually we get stressed when we feel that we don't have sufficient resources to deal with the pressures that we have around us. We can also have internal pressure. For example, I want to do well, I'm a perfectionist and so on. But still, if that stresses me out or not, it's up to me. It's how I interpret my ability to deal with that pressure. Okay, so this is what we need to learn. This is the this is the this is the important thing. So all this stuff coming at you say a lot of people in the morning, what every time they look at their phone or their laptop, there's a load more messages and it's you've got to do this, you got to do that. Some of it's stuff that's not, not important at all, but it all adds to that. Yes. Stress or not stress, pressure. Yes, exactly. And unfortunately, we can only deal with a certain amount of pressure at the time. So what happens is that we are experiencing something called the system overload. So our brain is bombarded by too much information on a regular basis. That means that we, we can only process 120 bits of information per minute. A conversation like the one we're having now is about 60 bits. So if you add to that mobiles, emails, notifications or uh, monitoring whatever else is around you that's go that goes way beyond our capacity to elaborate information so we get basically overloaded and too much pressure that turns into stress okay so this when you talk about you talk about bits as in like computer language of information yes can, so they so they've tested to see how much people can 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 take with. in over a minute and imagine that the body sends 
a few million beats per minute but we ignore all of that so the body sends information to the brain but we tend to ignore it the one that we process cognitively actively is only 120 beats per minute but a conversation takes half of it so you're saying you can have a conversation and do something else as well there is space to process something else but I wouldn't recommend it so I could be playing the guitar now for example and we could be talking and that would work um, no it doesn't work because it will switch from playing the guitar to speaking okay so every cognitive task so task where I use my brain to 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 do something or to process an information uh, can can be done simultaneously it you, can't be done simultaneously. No. It, multitasking basically doesn't really exist. Okay. We only switch from a task to another very quickly. Okay, so really all you're doing, when you're saying you're doing two things, you're doing one for a bit, then the other one for a bit, and the other one for a bit. So you can't effectively... Yes, multitasking is a big problem. It is, because it, it burns, it takes more time than to go back to what you were doing before. So if you start an activity, then you stop and you go back to it, you, um, you, it takes a third of the time to recap, so basically to reconnect to what you were doing before. So if you are very tired at the end of the day, it's because most of us have spent a lot of time multitasking. So extra energy to start an activity, stop, do something else, getting distracted and then going back to it. That's very tiring. And what if, you, what if someone tells you, say I'm having this conversation with you and, you're, and you say to someone, well, multitasking doesn't exist, it's, it's therefore bad because you're, you know, you're all over the shop and you're taking a while to get back to it. What if they say, my work demands this of me? What do you, what, this is, what's your next? Oh yeah, now that's what I do every time. I, I go to corporate and we, we do a, um, a beautiful exercise, but we can't do it here. Like we need a piece of paper, and and we we try to multitask. And 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 what happens is that you can multitask only things that don't require any attention. So you can chew a gum and go for a walk, easy. But you can't engage in two tasks simultaneously. It's just because of the brain is structured in that way. So the work asks you to do that. Uh, that's too bad. So you can still do it. But you notice that you, the quality of what you do is not as good and it, it, at the end of the day you're more tired. So when I go to a, a workplace I say you can still do it but it won't, take you, it won't save you time, it will make you fatigued at the end of the day. So you are, you, it takes you longer to do the same thing. So at the end of this conversation people realize okay let me try, try. It's a leap of faith to do one thing at a time and see how it goes. And, and normally they don't regret it. It's just the quality and, and, and the focus. So you peak perform when you're able to focus on one thing and let go of what is not important. So if let go of everything else, focus on one thing. Mindfulness. Mindfulness. This is what mindfulness teaches you, to focus on one thing and then to let go of what's not what is not important. So okay, so you go to these corporates. A lot. Do you get people there? Because presumably if it's a group of people, there'll be someone there who maybe has done a bit of yoga and meditation and they, they're kind of on board with it. 
then there's presumably someone that doesn't know anything about it and then there might be someone who's a bit difficult as well and kind of they resist it yes of course because I think there's a resistance to well I mean you see with how much people are constantly doing right so when you see people out they're always engaged in as, as many things to shield them from the local environment as they can which maybe they think their own kind of mindfulness because you're going into your own world but you you know there's no chance of engaging with the world around you so i suppose you want but you are wanting also people to do that or is it more about kind of when you're sitting alone and focusing on yourself it's because you know yoga they talk about how the, pra- the practice begins when you leave the studio is mindfulness one of those where they come to you they study a bit and then they take it into the rest of their life absolutely um, there is a formal mindfulness practice which is when you meditate full sorry formal formal, formal yeah um, so it means you sit uh, possibly alone or in a meditation center uh, for a set period of time but there is informal which means that applying mindfulness to your everyday life an example could be whenever you are doing something you're fully concentrated on what you're doing so you're making a cup of tea you're just uh, doing that right now so you notice the details of that activity and, and you enjoy what you're doing as well which is a part of uh, mindfulness brings uh, makes ordinary things extraordinary so and the brain generalizes what you do so if you practice mindfulness in a formal way through meditation then the brain will learn to be more present more often during your day so it's not something that you do in isolation I always say to people don't just practice 30 minutes and then run around like a headless chicken because that's not mindful mindfulness is a way of being and living as well because it strikes me a bit that you can teach people mindfulness but it seems that everything we've been doing as grown-ups and in the modern world is undoing that because from what you're, I was listening to you then talking about being absorbed in a task and I was thinking of what children are like I see my children drawing and they can't even hear you you know and I've seen your parents can get cross with this where they're they're trying to get calling a kid for dinner or something and then they, and they don't hear them but I see it in mind they they genuinely don't hear what's going on around them so they appear to be mindfulness experts already but then everything else we do is kind of hammering in to people that you've got to be alert because the world's a dangerous place so you can't go and be fully immersed in one thing because you've got to be alert and you've got to be you've got to be quick so if you're if you're working for someone you've got to be answering your emails in 10 minutes you've got to be doing all these things that the modern world requires of you so it's almost like we had this state as a child and we've removed it and now we're trying to put it back absolutely absolutely that's a, a, a beautiful description we are born uh, more mindful than when we when we grow old, older we are not as mindful um, because this the system puts a lot of pressure on us to to perform and our brain has not evolved as much as the technology in the last 100 years so if you think about the structure of the brain is the same but the context in which we live has changed so much. So the idea would be to be to try to be fully focused. It's a bit like what athletes do, having periods of peak performance and then rest and recovery periods. 
So we think when we are at work that if we push hard enough, we see the, the bottom of the pile, but it's not, a, it's not true. There is always more that we can do. So we end up working in a way that is not as productive. Uh, is more a mix of low productivity and, and distractions. Whilst what I'm suggesting is to focus 100% and then having breaks. So that's what also mindfulness supports. The ability to focus fully for a period of time and then to, to let go. So that's how you get through your emails, your meetings, your working day. You can't push uh, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. You need, even within one day, small periods of rest and recovery. This is what I do. See if, I mean, I'm, this is what I'm trying to do. I'll tell you, see if you think it's effective. So I'm in the middle of trying to do this bit of work and that bit of work and it's driving me crazy. So I decide, right, I'm going to do this bit now I set an alarm on my phone for say 40 minutes. I put the phone out of reach where I can't, I can't, um, I can't get it until the beeper goes off, and then I just have to focus on that one thing. It doesn't always work, but because I know the phone's out of reach, and I've told myself you've got to sit and do this one piece of work now, and so if I veer off from the path, I know that I'm being naughty, and I bring, I bring myself back to it. So that's worked. Absolutely, excellent. So much better than a bit of this, bit of that. And the problem is it's the messages pop up. This is the thing, message. So you think, oh, got it out, got it out, got it out. And that's so addictive as well. Every time if we have a notification and we are doing something maybe quite, sometimes boring, but sometimes just a, a big task, for example, and there is a distraction, like a, an email coming through, the brain releases a bit of dopamine just like oh mm. this is interesting and and that's how we procrastinate most of the time like through these um, little uh, uh, drops of dopamine here and there that take us away from the task that we're doing mm. and, and bad ones and stressed ones as well you know depending on the message because you see a message and it's a it's a good one or a bad one and you're yes. and you kind of these diff different responses in your body for things that you know they might be so meaningless in the scheme of it you know someone's like the picture you put up or oh, yes. you know things like this and I suppose the, the thing about um, the stresses people are under it sometimes strikes me that people like having as I've, I'm still calling it stress rather than pressure yes. but they like to have distress because it, it gives them something to kind of chase so you know you're so because you're say you have a busy day work and you, when you're finished, you're like, oh, it's been crazy today. And people like to talk about how busy they are. Often, maybe they're not, but they like to talk about how busy they are. And it's almost as if, if you took that away, then they have to contemplate themselves. But contemplating yourself isn't necessarily an easy thing because no one's got any answers about what it's all for and all this kind of thing. So it's easier in a way to just constantly be chasing something and then you're tired and exhausted and stressed, you do it again, you're tired and exhausted and stressed, at least you don't have to kind of look in the mirror and wonder what your life's all about. Which I think for my parents' generation was looked down upon because, you know, it was sort of navel gazing they talk about, you know, thinking too much about yourself, just get on with it, just get on with your life. Whereas really, fine, I suppose you can get on with your life until it's over if you want, but if you want to slow down and think about it and enjoy your life, you probably want to 
let go but do you have people who don't want to let go the majority of people don't want to let go it's um, the hardest thing to stop because we are just uh, uh, in doing mode all day doing mode yeah yes we're just we're keeping busy as a way of as you said distracting ourselves from from other things so it really works so when you're busy performing tasks there is no space to feel anything um, and that wanting to feel something yeah that's a big problem uh, there, there has been a study where people were given two options one was to uh, spend some time alone and just uh, thinking about themselves and the other one was to give themselves an electrical shock and guess what they chose the vast majority but they'd rather electric shock and get out of there exactly and sit and contemplate themselves yes so uh, I think we're a bit scared it's not to look inside or emotions are, uh, are things that we don't we try not to experience to avoid sitting still doing nothing is somehow frowned upon it's somehow people don't think it's something you should be doing yeah. have you I found myself when you sit down in a cafe so you're waiting for somebody and I sometimes think I just want to sit here now I just want to sit here for five minutes and then I found myself not getting out my phone just because you feel it's a, it's more normal behavior you know because if you now see someone who's who's doing that it's completely normal that's just what people do if you see someone sitting there like What's this a weirdo? you're like what, what are you doing mate why are you sitting there like a, yeah like a weirdo it's like it's weird to do this sit here but to look in your phone is is completely normal yes so and this came quickly right this wasn't you know. yes, yes, yes. there is a vignette exactly what you're you were describing that I, I i came across a while back of this person of someone commenting on on someone sitting on a cafe just doing nothing it's like look at that weirdo and doing nothing yeah. just like yeah what's wrong with you you know you, you do not have a phone um, are you bought, you know yeah and when we do nothing uh that's when we rest our brain which is the most important thing that we can do to to then go on with our lives and and even if we are concerned about performing and doing all the things you have to do you need those periods of, of recovery which you get when you don't do anything paradoxically when i ask the question when was the last time you just sat somewhere doing nothing no one can no one knows like people don't really do it and uh, and that's uh, and then we we used to take care of our possessions like uh, cars and bags or whatever we have way more than our brain which is a bit paradoxical mm. yeah, I don't think we do, I don't think we do think about taking care of it when, when does when does the mindfulness fail for you when do you when do you when did the, the kind of chimp brain take over and oh. you know, do you still get angry? Do you all the feel, time. All the time. Good. Is, is Not just me. <laughs> uh, yes, I, 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 I try to, to remove the human bits out of me by practicing, but that doesn't work. Um, I think the difference is that you are more aware of your automatic reactions to things. Um, so you're able to catch yourself sometimes uh, before going into your habitual reaction 
Your normal, uh, your, sorry, your habitual, your normal reaction. Yeah, normal reaction. Yeah. And what what is is said in mindfulness is you choose to respond to an event rather than react to an event. So you choose to respond. Yes, this is because uh, the vast majority of our behaviors is a learned learned behavior, meaning that is um, is something that we do automatically based on the previous experiences we have had and so on uh, but with mindfulness we undo the automatic pilot and so we know what we're doing when we are doing it so that means that it's not a reaction the reaction happens to you a response is something that you say okay I feel like this is it the right way of responding to this event or not so it gives you a choice that was not previously available so is it mostly about giving yourself time to make a rational decision with things? Is that one of the main...? Mm, it, it, more than time, I would say space. Uh, so sometimes people think of mindfulness like slowing down. And I don't think mindfulness is a, is a pace. Mindfulness is, um, is, uh, is more about being in touch, relating to what you're doing. To what you're thinking so it's a relational skill so it is, is a, it's about I see this is coming I step back and I choose that doesn't make me slow in a way uh, you can be mindful in if you think of the Formula One pilot they're very mindful they're completely 100% focused on what they're doing they can't afford any distraction they're not slow they're very fast yeah, I suppose. So it's more like the way you process it, the the, the, the the method you use. So you have to. So you're kind. Of, you're trying to remove the personal. The. Is is a, in a way is is about observing, being the observer of your own thoughts that usually drive your emotions and behaviors. So you step back and you look. Okay. I'm having this emotion, I am having this reaction. Or, but you, the fact that you're able to observe it uh, doesn't make you completely into that behavior or emotion or reaction. So you're a step. Imagine that you're looking at, uh, at your emails, they have arrived, but you don't open them unless you want to open them. So you are just a, a step. Um, so you can look yeah. at them and you can think, okay. There is distance. Yeah. So there are some emails to be answered. Yes, but I, at they the time are there. of my choosing. But you can open the email or not. So you see them, but you can decide to go into into the content or not. So going back to how we work on an everyday basis, you can see your thoughts when you're mindful but you can decide whether you want to follow the narratives or, or letting them go. So if you, see, if you see within that mix, say, fear or anger or any of these emotions, you, you, what you do, you recognize it and you try not to make the decision based on that. Is that how you would? Uh, so um, emotions are uh, normally what we, we, we would suggest in mindfulness to, to embrace your emotions rather than uh, fighting the emotions usually we tend to push them away mm. but the moment in which you push something away you're engaging a lot with that imagine you don't want the emotion to come through this door 
and you hold the door very firmly so you're actually having a fight with your emotions with okay. mindfulness you observe the emotion is coming you feel it because the emotions do have um, an expression in the body so you might feel if it's fear you might feel tense agitated and you just let it be because the principle behind that is that everything is temporary things do come and go we say like the clouds in the sky they just move around um, unless you pick up a fight with your emotions or with the situation which you are in so if you start pushing back then it's when you reiterate the emotion that you're trying to get rid of so when you re so you're okay you reinforce it reiterate it. okay so you so you want to you want to let the emotion be felt but you don't want to take to, it on board too much or fight it exactly you just let it go through you as a, as you as anything else that like an emotion only lasts 40 seconds in the brain 40 seconds yes four zero. Four is 40 seconds that's all you've got yes but we can be for example upset for much longer than that yeah. and that's because we engage into the thinking behind that emotion so if I am upset and I acknowledge okay I'm upset I feel uh, I'm having a terrible day that emotion will naturally fade but because we don't want to be upset and we don't want to have a bad day we start thinking oh I should fix I should talk to this person I should do this and that so trying to fix the state in which we are using our brain thinking only reiterates the emotion further emotion further further okay so yeah, yeah, yeah okay um, okay so we need to so we need to not kind of give it energy by fighting it yes and but not also so not try and fix it not try and get rid of it not trying to change just it either just uh, just experience it like okay this is how I'm feeling I am having these thoughts my body feels heavy I'm a bit sad that's it but it's very different from what we normally do we don't like to be sad or stressed or anything like that because normally the thought it's like this is I guess yeah this is making me feel sad and then you you add to it by thinking it's not right how can I stop this how can I change it and then you've got this whole yes you basically think about it even more than just the 40 seconds in which you experience the sadness is the 40 seconds that that's that's kind of hormones moving around and you're feeling it's neurochemical as yeah. well so that's ch kind of like chimp brain anger or whatever yes. it is and then that yes what you call the chimp brain is like our uh, emotional brain limbic system yeah. which is uh, five times faster than the thinking brain so usually when we appraise the situation we we have an emotional reaction and then we think about it later an example if you go into a meeting and someone challenges you and you are a bit thrown and you mumble something you're not quite sure what to say and then you go back to your desk and you think ah, I should have said this this and this answered in this way that's that's because the first um, a reaction is emotional and then a bit later you have the rational brain telling you oh you should have done this and that so I guess it's just trying to access that earlier yes well, isn't it 
Absolutely. So if you normally respond with stress to a situation, that would be your emotional response. So the beauty is that you, by practicing mindfulness or other stress reduction techniques, I'm not saying that mindfulness is the only thing you can do, uh, you can teach uh, your, your brain to use that instead of going into the limbic brain, so emotional response. So you teach your brain to kind of bypass that? Yes, or to weaken the, the links between the emotional response and, and, and so, so that it doesn't become your first reaction. I'll give you an example. If you think about the firefighters, yes. they are able to keep calm in a situation that would uh, uh, create anxiety to most people. And that happens because they've trained their brain in that situation enough so that they can switch on the more rational balance response. So that's, the, that's what I'm trying to say. So you can teach yourself to respond with calmness and presence and feeling grounded even in the midst of something very stressful. And the training is really a practical thing, so it's what you do in this circumstance. So what, what practically needs to be done, you know, firefighter example or whatever it is in your... Or your work. mindfulness practice, your meditation practice, is what teaches you to be grounded. Because when you practice mindfulness and you have a lot of resistance in your head, you don't want to do it, or you have a pain, an ache, or something like that, you just learn to sit through it. So that's you learn a different way of responding to whatever is going on through your mind without fixing it by doing, but just by being with what is. I think it's, it is it's a natural human reaction to fix things, isn't it? There's a problem, you want to fix it. Yes. But often there's not a thing to be done. You know, it's you're trying to fix, as you say, an emotion. You're trying to fix, I don't like, or something you can't change about yourself, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So trying to fix only will try. So if I am sad and depressed, and I think, why am I depressed? Why? Why this is happening to me? Why I'm so sad? I shouldn't be sad. I keep saying sad, 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 and that sadness is like right there in my brain, and so is uh, uh, reiterated many, many times. So you observe and allow it to pass. You observe, you allow it to pass or um, you can then choose what is the best way to take care of myself right now. Um, maybe I, I just need to go out in, uh, to the park. Maybe I can just call a friend. So to, to take a step that takes you out of that mental rumination in a way. Mental rumination, I like it. So going yeah. over and over things, just churning things in your head. The roundabout, I call it. You go into it and you can't find the exit. You just go in circles. Yeah, you're beating yourself up about these thoughts. So you mentioned sport, right? So you're talking about Formula One drivers. That's again a bit like children, I guess, a natural focus, isn't it? Because they're training to do this thing and it doesn't give them any chance to... Because, you know, they're doing this dangerous, difficult thing. It doesn't give them any chance for their mind to, to wander, I'm guessing. But do you have sportsmen who need or have benefited from mindfulness training? Yes, now many teams do have um, um, mindfulness teachers um, because that focus is needed. Because in sports, it's never the person who, who has the best skill set that wins. 
but it's the person who is able to apply the skill set under pressure because we all are great uh, at a certain level at doing uh, playing the sport or just doing what we have to do but can we do it when we are under pressure so the national coach of, um, of volleyball I know volleyball is not quite relevant in, in England but in Italy it was a big deal we say I don't want a great setter so the, the setter is, is uh, the key in uh, yeah in a volleyball team it's just the person who touches more ball than every, balls than everyone else I don't want a great setter I want a setter who is able to uh, fix any other mistake that is done by any other player so it's able to set well under pressure because when the it's an easy ball everyone can set I need one who is able to to go and catch the ball that is hard to catch so stays focused and doesn't just mm, doesn't give up when things are difficult for example so you played professionally did you say yes. was this before you'd done any mindfulness study or unfortunately it was before so you just played as a with yes. a, a raw and so many games where I I made a mistake and I couldn't let go of it and so I was thinking oh crap I just I missed that ball that's not great we're gonna lose the game and 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 there we lose the game so do you look back on it now and think if I'd had my mindfulness training then all the time really yes do you so do you have regrets about your sporting career yes I, I think that uh, from that point of view we didn't do any work and it was a few years ago and that's a shame because you didn't do any work so you didn't uh, from a, a psychological point of view right uh, we only trained the bodies to yeah. perform and we had amazing performing bodies but the mind uh, under pressure was not as it's best I think so do you look at kind of games big games that you lost that you could have say gone and I don't know how high a level you played at but do you yes. look at did you yes. if, if only I'd been more mindful I could have played for the country or yes I, I just uh, I think I remember my coach telling me don't miss this ball you have to score this this point and then I was like oh my like the pressure was so high then I would obviously miss the ball or, or not score the point. Sounds like a great coach. <laughs> yeah. No but in fact uh, I was uh, watching the national team last last um, summer and now this a different coach was saying girls you know exactly what to do this is what we've been trained I've trained you for like months so you just go and get it just it will be great oh yeah that's what it should be sports coaching shouldn't it is you can't like adding new stuff in like late or, or telling people they're hopeless if they yeah but putting pressure basically doesn't work yeah it's quite the opposite just encourage don't put pressure yeah I suppose it's that again that old school thinking of people thinking pressure's good you know but your decision making uh, uh, skills under pressure don't work as well because pressure is emotional brain decision making is rational brain so if you put pressure on me I'll use my emotional brain not the thinking brain that I need the most mm. so now I think in the workplace there has been a big change so people are no longer thinking that it's fashionable to be stressed and then they have realized that we need a healthy amount of pressure and, and then rest and recovery yeah a healthy amount of pressure I suppose it's knowing how what, what that is is a difficult that's thing, mindfulness isn't it? knowing that's what mind. you're doing when you're doing it so 
um, if you imagine a performance curve that is bell-shaped, mm -hmm. the healthy amount of pressure is uh, basically the middle of the curve. Um, the question is how do you know when you're there? So you need to be able to recognize the signs and symptoms um, of when you are under-stimulated or overly stimulated. And you can only recognize that if you're actually checking in with yourself on a regular basis. How, how do you know you're getting the right answers from yourself? It's not a stupid question. You know, well, we are experts about ourselves and how we feel, if we just look. So, you, so it's, I guess it's knowing how to look and how to ask yourself the questions, right? Yes, because the body is always sending signals all the time. We just overwrite them because we are in our heads all the time. We just are disconnected. But if I get angry or any emotion we experience is first felt in the body. So if you pay attention, you will uh, know what is going on with you at all times. So you feel it, so you feel it in your body? First, yes, it's picked up from uh, the spine. And so I've, never even, I've never thought of it like that, I don't think. Um, yes, it's a well-known uh, scientific theory. And, um, you know, if you shake, the brain will think, oh, okay, I'm exp experiencing fear, for example. So it's not the other way around. It makes, yeah, it makes perfect sense, of course, as you're saying it, but I suppose I've never considered it in that manner, is what, is what I mean. Yeah, of course, yeah, you, know, you shake yeah. with fear or whatever, but I guess I haven't really yeah, thought about it in physical terms, and this is what we need to be doing. Uh, Mindfulness is, this is, is, is seeing what emotions It are. brings together the, the body and the mind, so we tend to disconnect a little bit, so we are just living in our heads all the time. But to be honest, to do what we want to do, uh, we also need the body. And the brain is an organ itself. That's the thing, is if people come to you and they've got problems that are something else, you know, say that they, they, they're unhealthy because they're eating very badly or they're not sleeping or, or they're taking, drinking too much or whatever it is, do you then have to think, well, okay, there's mindfulness, but also you need to make a big physical change in your life? Is this part of the conversation? Yeah, Absolutely. So I think um, mindfulness comes uh, as first thing because we, in order to change something, you need to be aware of what you're doing. If you don't understand the problem, you can't really solve it. So mindfulness gives you the, the spotlight. So you, you, you go and you need sometimes the courage to look into what you're doing. And once you have that, that sense and you know what you're doing very well, then you can uh, make some baby steps towards change but change starts from awareness understanding so do you do you feel people get some benefit straight away mm. I think uh, mindfulness is uh, more of a, a, a lifetime journey but some people kind of at least cognitively click and there is a honeymoon phase where uh, I think that is quite immediate if you like the concept and if it makes sense to you. But that is followed by a period when you kind of question, it's like, oh, I, I liked it so much, but it's a bit hard to take time to practice. So you question it and then you either take it with you for forever and as a companion or you just give up and think it's not the right time, probably.
Mm. That's what I've seen over uh, the time with my clients. And you're looking at what they eat a lot? Yes. um, Not what, but how. How, not what they eat? No. How, not what? The part of being mindful uh, means uh, awareness of what you're doing in a non-judgmental way. So uh, if I eat mindfully, there is no right or wrong way to eat. So I can eat a pizza as long as I don't judge myself for As it. long as uh, you are aware of uh, the effects on your mind and body of eating certain foods. So it's more about learning to relate to your food and how the food interacts with your body rather than trying to control what you eat uh, uh, with your brain cognitively. So, so is it? So you don't talk about what they eat. You talk, but you tell them to think about how they eat. I, I tell them to first to observe uh, what are your eating patterns like, and and you observe in a non-judgmental way. So if you have ever uh, been on a diet, you might have noticed that the first two three weeks you you kind of follow it, and after that it's hard, and and it, you go back to your old habits. And that happens uh, because through motivation we, we can't really change. We can only change if we have, uh, um, if it makes sense for us. So if you've always eaten in a certain way and you say, okay, on Monday I'll start my diet, nothing has changed in your decision making that will make you choose a different food on Monday. You're just pushing it away. It's just uh, trying to use motivation, but unfortunately the first obstacle then you find in your life or you get a bit stressed or you don't have time to cook or whatever, you just go back to your old habit. With mindful eating, for example, you you just notice, okay, I can have seven donuts, for example, Mm -hmm. and how does that make me feel? How does my stomach feel? Uh, Most of the people will say, okay, I feel like quite sick, to be honest. So once I know that, I naturally will move away from the seven donuts that make me feel sick. And so that change is not imposed by anyone else, it's, be, it's because it's good for me. That means I can sustain it over time. A diet is not sustainable over time. That's the problem of, of any diet. And how's your eating? My eating uh, is, uh, is really interesting. Is it? Uh, yes, because I, I, it does change over as, as my body changes, like I, I had two kids in a short period of time and my body has expanded a lot and then I shrink and then expanded and uh, food aversion or like it was a, it's a journey. So my eating is uh, um, like a lab where I can see how I relate to food, how I emotionally eat sometimes and how I actually take care of my body through food. How I eat something because it makes me feel good. But do you, do you, so presumably if you're practicing this yourself, you don't have the thing other people have where they eat things and regret it or... Of course I do. You do? Of course, because that's part of the learning. So if I don't allow myself to regret something, when do I learn that it's not the right choice for me? Okay, so you eat something and regret it and then... I regret it maybe because it makes me feel sick or because I don't feel good in, inside. Um, I, I talk about, you know, there, is a, there are different types types of th- taste like uh, uh, savory, sweet, umami mm-hmm. and, and there is one that I always talk about is the taste of disappointment. 
So when you're about to eat something or you're eating something and you're really disappointed with yourself for doing that, mm. I think this one you, you can really explore what, um, what it feels like to eat and your relationship with food is, uh, is what you get. It's like you can't always eat mindfully to be honest. It's okay to regret. Of course, Sometimes. I think it's learning. So when you don't practice, you learn the importance of practicing. This is, I think this is really helpful for me because I think, I do, I think I've started doing some of these things naturally, my, mindful things, maybe the things I've picked up from doing some meditation or yoga I find very helpful because they say to, they always do this one where they say, see the emotion, let the emotion come in and just, just let it go. So I think it's, I guess, yeah, it's more about just that choice, isn't it? Whether it's pressure or stress. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's your choice to whether to feel pressure or whether to feel stress. Sometimes you, you, it's automatic to feel stress because that's what you've learned to do over time. Um, so you might experience stress, but you can still, you don't have to fix it. So once I try to be stressed, because usually when we experience stress, we try to do something to eliminate it. So once I was at my desk and I had a ton of work to do, I just didn't know where to start. And I noticed, oh my gosh, I'm stressed. And then I was like, what is this stress like? Okay, I feel a bit agitated. My heartbeat is a bit faster. Um, maybe I'm not breathing normally. I'm holding my breath and, and that's it. That's all about it. That's stress. And then it's gone. And then it's gone. And I felt so proud of myself. Like I dealt with stress rather than going and, uh, you know, have a, um, a chocolate or bar or, you know, uh, some people go and have a cigarette or just whatever they do to cope with stress. I always thought with, with cigarettes, you see someone having a cigarette, you see the process of doing that. You take out the fact that it's poisoning you and giving you cancer. The process is quite a nice one. So you, you say you're working in an office. You walk outside for five minutes and you just breathe and you yeah. relax and it's lovely in a way that's like a going and doing a meditation unfortunately you're also sucking yeah. noxious chemicals into your lungs and risking dying early but the, the process if you could go outside I always think it's unfair as well I used to work in this big office where it was miles to go outside and if people smoke five or six cigarettes a day they're never, they're never there this is offer a cigarette back offer, and it's kind of because it was just about socially acceptable so you can get away with it yes. so you need a cigarette break that's not bad for you basically basically yes to go yes. and sit and breathe the equivalent of a cigarette break yes. yeah okay that's really helped Jinsia Betzalesi great yes. to meet you thank you so much for doing it uh, so thank you Richard uh, lovely to meet you too thank you Thank you again to Dr. Cinzia Petzolese. Find out more about her at Cinzia, C-I-N-Z-I-A, Petzolese, P-E-Z-Z-O-L-E-S-I, cinziapetzolese.com, and she works with LondonMindful.com, the mindfulness project. Thanks very much. She's also, what did she say she was? She's got a nice short Instagram handle, is Dr. Dr.cnz at dr.cnz on Instagram. Healthy Beast is at Healthy Beast Podcast. Thank you very much. Goodbye.